0: last century the start in the 1900s the titanic was almost a metaphor for humankind we we just we just had several breakthroughs in science and engineering and flying the first planes was about to happen and the discovery of anesthetic There was the kind of sense of, hey, we are doing so well. And the Titanic represented almost a a sense in which, wow, we can even engineer the best hotel that can float. And as you know, the story on its maiden voyage, it sank, and it was almost a prophetic statement that... The pride of man and the hand of man actually fails in the end. In a few moments, by the way, I'm going to show you a little clip from the Titanic film. It's towards the end. And actually, if you've got children who are under 15 uh, in the auditorium, it is a plus 15. So, parents, you can blindfold them at your discretion. But actually, the scene is quite horrific. And so for those of you watching online, for copyright purposes, this, we're going to put some discussion questions for you to uh, feedback to us. And it'll go quiet for a moment. But don't tune out. We will come back. It's just a short clip, but we can't show it online for those of you who are watching online. I I would say there's nobody in this house today who's saying church is too full. Nobody in this house is saying to to anybody, you know, I hope nobody else gets saved. I hope that, that people don't come because we've got enough. I know that you're not saying that. But maybe it's time to look again and to think again about how we reach out. I'm going to talk about the ministry of the evangelist. And some of you already are saying, I'm not an evangelist. But we all are called to share the gospel. Why don't you just watch the screen just for a few moments? Are we in danger of waiting too long? Are we in danger of not checking, not keep looking? Are we the sort of church whereby we're in the lifeboat? But is there anybody else out there? I just wonder today, in all of our great atmosphere, and it's so right and it's so good, that we may have sometimes allowed it, and I'm sure it's not the case, that sometimes we've allowed it to slip our minds that we're on a mission to reach out to the lost, to reach out to the drowning, to bring hope and to bring them home. I'm going to talk to you today about a man called Philip. Philip is the only time he's called an evangelist And uh, Paul, when he's on his journey to strengthen the church, actually stays in his house. And In fact, he says in Acts chapter 21, we're going to look at Acts 21, and then we're going to go to Acts 6, and then Acts chapter 8. But Acts chapter 8 is our main chapter today, so you might want to get your Bible ready. But as Paul was... Going on his journeys, he said this, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. I'm going to explain to you who the seven were in a moment. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. What a great church to go to. Plenty of chance to get a spiritual wife there, maybe. I don't know. Philip's this model of evangelist. I am sure that everybody in the house, there's nobody saying, we don't want to see more people coming to faith. That we, but, but what we've done is we've kind of made evangelism a bit of a specialist thing, haven't we? we? But in Philip, we've got a model where everybody can join in. In one person, we see lots of different modes of evangelism. Just to say that everybody in the house, you have a gift. You have a gift in you and that God has scattered those gifts in you, and uh, he wants you to be used and fulfilled, but not one of us is without a gift, and not one of us is without the compassion and the love of Christ, who we can be at least a good witness to a watching world. We need to man the lifeboats and seek the people. Don't you agree, church? Hey, I know I do this, and some of you love it, some of you find it annoying, but just turn to your neighbor and just tell that person, you have a gift. You have a gift. Now, don't just, don't just say it to them, oh, he's told me to say it because I'm saying it. Now, minister it to them. You have a gift. You have a gift in you. And it's a gift from God. Everybody watching at home, you have a gift. The term evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament. It's only said three times. But in Philip, we see it lived out before us in ways that every one of us can join in. That each person in this room, Philip will teach us that there is something you can do to reach out to a lost and dying world. First thing I want you to notice, everybody in the house, if you've got a Bible or a device where your Bible is... Turn to Acts chapter 6. I want to read you a couple of verses. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 5, it says this. So the 12, now the 12 were the original apostles plus the one who was substituted that were with Jesus. So the 12 said this. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from amongst you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility of feeding the Hebraic and Greek widows, we're going to turn that responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to the ministry of the prayer and of the Word. This proposal, now I want you to notice this, it pleased the whole group. It was something that the church got behind and I want you to notice that they chose seven men from whom you are, who is known amongst you. These are not just seven willing hands. These are people who they knew were already ministering in the church. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They also chose Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmaeus, Nicholas from Antioch Antioch, who was a convert from Judaism. I want you to notice something first of all about Philip. Philip is not part of the twelve. This is a different Philip than you read in the Gospel of John. He's not Philip the Apostle, but here's the first thing to realise: he's fully involved in the church. He's called an evangelist, but he's fully connected in the direction and the needs of the church. Sometimes we have seen the role of the evangelist as those people who are off out there while we're all getting on with the church. They're off on the streets leaving to the rest of us to sort the church out and to look after ourselves, whereas the evangelist is somebody, well, that's not really my business, but I want you to notice something, that this man was someone who's totally committed to the social program of the church, feeding widows and making it work. The evangelist is not supposed to be this loner person out there, apart from the need and direction of the church, that they just bring them in and the church look after them. The evangelist is supposed to be partly uh, a part of the church and in the church. The evangelists are there to love the whole person. And often, their desire to share is firstly refined by serving, by being involved, by connecting and being part of the whole. Remember, that the whole teaching of the five-fold ministry, remember if we go to our foundation scripture, Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. God gives an apostle, a prophet, and an evangelist to build up the body. You would think it would be, no, to win the loss. No, it's to build up the body so that the body uh, is equipped so that the body can work even better. So the evangelist is not detached out there, letting others get on with the church, but fully immersed in the needs of the church. This is where Philip refined his heart. In fact, let me ask you a question. Why would we let you go and represent us out there if you're not committed in here? Why would we do that? Why would we, as a body of church, say, Yeah, sure, go and tell about us and about our Lord, and yet you've got no connection or real commitment here in the house. Why would we do that? Today, I want to ask you to learn more than one mode of evangelism. I want to ask you to learn something that that can flow through your life so that you don't put evangelism just in one mode. First of all, what we see here is servant evangelism. We see uh, Philip feeding and being involved in Food Hub, being involved in the social program uh, of the church, caring for the hungry, taking care of widows. I wonder if there's somebody here that says, I could do that. I, I I could give out food and share a kind word. I could do that. I wonder if there's some people that think, oh, that's not as scary as perhaps evangelism comes across. And then Philip the evangelist shows us, everybody turn to Acts chapter 8, and uh, I want to make sure that you catch this, because Philip makes the most of a persecution situation. In verse 1, it tells us that the church was scattered uh, because of persecution, and but we see in his life that all types of evangelism come come apart the first one obviously is servant evangelism but as he goes down into samaria we see a different type of evangelism and its proclamation and power evangelism are you with me in acts chapter 8 verse 4 says this those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went philip went down to a city in samaria and he proclaimed the messiah and when the crowds heard philip then, and saw the signs he performed, listen to this sentence, they all paid close attention to what he said. They saw the signs and were driven closer to the word. With shrieks, impure spirits came out. Many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Notice this. Notice that he proclaimed and performed miracles, but the miracles led the people back to playing to paying close attention to what was said. Miracles are never an end in themselves, and we get kind of excited about miracles, and we pray for people on the street, and we rejoice and rightly rejoice that people might be healed, but miracles are just a sign to point people back to Jesus and back to his word. It's really important that we keep that as a focus when we are praying for people. This type of evangelism is is maybe out there, and it, it is that we proclaim, and it is that we are to uh, lay hands with people. But I want to I just say something to you, that this type of evangelism isn't supposed to be heavy. You know, that actually we're supposed to be approachable people. Because did you see in Samaria, and it says, great joy was in the city. It wasn't that people were saying, oh, those guys over there, we need to be scared of them. Actually, people were joyful. I don't know about you, but I would imagine that Jesus could talk about the Euros. You see, you're not sure about that, are you? You know, I think it was approachable And think, do you think the lionesses will win? Oh, sure, I think they'll win. No way, I haven't got a chance. You know, I, I just think that's going to happen. You see, I just wonder, even in our proclamation, whether or not we can be more approachable. Don't you? That whether or not we give this air of being so scary, that sometimes whether our proclamation isn't quite connecting. There was great joy in the city. Now, for those of you who are saying, well, you know what, Uh, get on to a different type of evangelism because I am never going to do that. I'm going to ask you the question, if you never go out on the streets, well, where are you evangelizing then? Who are you sharing with? Now, you know, I am going to share you different modes, but I don't want to, in a sense, give anybody an excuse to say, oh, I don't need to share. Jesus said it this way at the end of Mark. In Mark chapter 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And these signs will accompany all those who believe. In my name, you'll drive out demons and speak in tongues. So I don't want to make this power evangelism for the specialist. It's for everybody. Somebody at your workplace needs you to just gently lay your hand on them and they'll be healed. There's somebody that, you know, within... Uh, proper guidelines that you can do that still that evangelism but when you what you notice what happens in, in the book of acts track down with me in verse 7 you know there are shrieks of uh, demons coming out but when you get to verse 14 it says this the apostles in jerusalem Heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. So they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You see, when evangelists share, they need backup. They need a team of intercessors around them because they need a warfare type evangelism, a prayer type evangelism. Do we have any intercessors in the house that could pray for the evangelist and come around behind them and begin to say, I will back you up. When the evangelists share, they need backup and follow up. So don't try and do everything yourself. What a great thing this must have been in Samaria, don't you agree? Wouldn't you like to have been there? The whole city is with joy because an evangelist has come. In fact, it breaks out so much that there's Simon, a sorcerer, who says, I want what you want, and Peter has to have a a battle with him. Wouldn't that be amazing, church? Okay, that's somebody. A balcony, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, the balcony is so much more spiritual than these down here. But you know what? Look what happens next. This is an amazing thing. Track down with me to verse 26. Because now what happens is that Peter, uh, excuse me, Philip is led into personal evangelism. Verse 26 puts it like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road to the desert road oh hang on a minute angel of the Lord can't you see what's going on here the whole city is enjoying this and you want me to leave all this exciting stuff and go to a desert road isn't it great that God loves the one as well as the many that God isn't Enamored with just the crowd, as much as we love that. Go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. I wonder if there's somebody in your world that's wondering about the Bible. I wonder if there's somebody in your world that needs you to come alongside them and explain something about the Bible. The Spirit told Philip... You see, personal evangelism is Spirit-led evangelism. The Spirit told Philip... Go to the chariot and stay near it. Now today, you're, the chariot might have the words BMW on the side. But go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading understanding, uh, reading the Isaiah the prophet, and he did not say, Hey, I know what that means. Let me tell you. He did not say that. He said, Do you understand what you are reading? He didn't give an answer, but he gave a question. Personal evangelism is not to the crowd. It might not be out there on the street. It's by invitation and by drawing alongside someone, by entering their world. It involves answering questions and correctly handling the Scriptures. It means that you yourself have to be a person that perhaps knows the Bible, not perhaps, definitely. It involves follow through and baptism. As the conversation progressed and the eunuch received the Lord, he said, why can't I be baptized? And Philip was mature enough to take him through the understanding of baptism, even though it was very quick. I wonder sometimes whether the evangelist should not see his or her job done until a person is baptized. We've got a baptismal service next week and I wonder if there'd be any evangelists in the tank saying, you know what, I'm following through with you. I wonder if we've reduced evangelism down to, well, they put their hand up and they said a prayer, but I wonder if we could walk through with them until they're baptized. Personal evangelism is a great privilege and I just wonder if God could use you this week with a divine appointment that maybe you go to somewhere that that maybe is different for you and God uses you to speak to someone or perhaps in your routine that God uses you to answer a question that leads to a conversation that leads maybe later on to a decision. Stay with me in Acts chapter 8. Come with me to verse 39. Let's look what then happens. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. Wouldn't that be amazing next week? You know, Claudette's baptizing, and they left that, and then all of a sudden, Claudette's in York. <laughs> Claudette's going, Yeah, I could, I could deal with that you don't get to pack a bag Claude Claudette. Wouldn't that be amazing? But you see, God's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us something to say, through Philip, you can do servant evangelism, you can feed the poor. You can say a kind word as you're giving out food. Through Philip, you may get to proclaim and lay on hands and, and see healings. Through Philip, you may get to run alongside a person But don't put God in a box, because God may spirit you away to do something else. And He spirited Philip away, and then He went on. The unit went on his way, rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, and that's where we started. Philip isn't returned to Samaria. Philip doesn't go back there to the great rejoicing and to the revival and the people being uh, filled with the Spirit. And sometimes we want to go back there. I've got precious moments in my history where I just want to go back there. I, I once was leading a church, and at every single meeting we held, and we held a lace party and a book club, but in every single meeting people got saved. It wasn't even evangelistic meetings. I believe in that period in that church, if we'd have held a jumble sale, people would have got saved because it was just the the atmosphere of, of what was happening then. But actually, the Spirit sometimes calls to us and says, come, I've got something else for you. Don't get frozen and stuck in that moment. How many of you ever used this phrase, back in the day? Have you used that phrase? Hello, church. Back in the day. Which day are you on about? You see, the Holy Spirit wants to say, let me spirit you away. I've got something else for you. I've got an itinerant thing for you. And you just heard some great testimonies of of some people. And you know what? they won't be be used like that in their workplace every day but sometimes god says come on a mission Come come and do a mission, and I'll use you in ways that you've not been used in before. Come and do something different with me. And I would recommend, come on an IBIOL mission. Come on a KT mission. Come and let's go and do some things. And even if it's a short-term mission. But he was prepared to go from beyond personal evangelism into itinerant mission from place to place. And we need to be prepared to go and do something different. Now and again. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? But notice something. Notice that he stays in Caesarea. That actually having to done this mission, he stays in Caesarea and he digs something out with his family. That actually he becomes a part of that community and says, let's start this church. And he digs it out until something is established. We don't know who his wife is, but we know that he raises his family. He raises his family in a godly way so that they can prophesy and know the Spirit. And the fact that Paul stayed in Philip's house probably meant that that's where the church met. And that's where they were uh, digging something out. And that's where he stayed. I wonder if there's a place where you need to dig in and say, I'm going to support this. I'm going to stay until uh, this is is good and complete in God. He stayed in the place, raised his family, and they were involved. I wonder if we've got some church planters in the house that with our help, you could do that. But also, you know what? By digging in here, you're winning. You're enabling so much. And by helping encourage the church that you're committed to, you grow and you are evangelizing. By being the friendly church that you're supposed to be, it makes such a difference. You know, can I just go on a a tangent? This is why tithing is so important giving 10% of your gross income into the treasury of the church so that we can enable mission and ministry, so that we can do everything that we do. It's really important for you to get a handle on your tithing and build that financial base and foundation in your life. It's not just so that We can have little programs. It's so that we can do mission all over London and through our church. It's really important. So you're going to hear over the next few weeks this phrase, the cost of living crisis. I want to say this phrase to you, and I'm not in any way minimizing those people who um, uh, have difficulties. Kathy and I got a shock bill yesterday, so I'm speaking from my own uh, life as well. I believe it's the cost of living faith opportunity. It's the cost of living faith opportunity so that we can prove God. That actually what we're giving into and what we're blessing, God can multiply. So I want to say to you, don't give up on your tithing. Sure, you you might not have the finances right now, and you say, I I just possibly couldn't do that. But you may start at 1% or 2%. Those things aren't a tithe, but it is actually building you up to tithing. But if you've let your tithing go, begin now to say, you know what? I need to dig in so that you can have An impact in the ministry so that we can have maximum kingdom impact. It's important that we dig out the church and we put strong foundations in the church. If you've let that go, let it come back into your life. Can I hear an amen, church? Amen. Amen. You know, you don't know what you've got. You don't know how precious what God has given you. There are people begging to hear the message of the gospel. We sometimes don't know the value of it. We've got so used to of it. Hey, let me tell you something. Kathy and I, we were in a shop yesterday, and we just thought it was an ordinary shop. We should have got a clue when they asked us to sign in. We, we, it was just, you know, I, I you know. This is online, so I can't say what the shop is and everything. But you know, we should have got a clue when they said, "Would you, would you let, would you sign in?" We w- walked into this shop, and um, uh, it was like near B and Q, and just other, you know. So we were thinking we're just on an ordinary shopping estate. So we walk in, and, and we were looking for a little chair for our living room, you know. And uh, so we looked at this chair, and it said 150 pounds, and we thought, "Wow, that's a great chair, 150 pounds." You know, we you know we can stretch to that. We find out it's 150 pounds for the cushion on the chair. <laughs> we had seriously underestimated the values in this shop. You know, some of the world look at you, and they think they're not much. The father looks at you and says, I'll give my son for you. I'll pour my blood out for you. You're worth much more than anybody thinks you're worth. By the way, we looked at the QR code for the chair, we're not buying that chair. That was far too expensive. You are God's expensive investment. And as you share, come on, give the Lord praise for your life. As you share, you can change this world. But I've got a question for you. Do you love the lost enough to develop a well-rounded commitment to evangelism? Or do you not love the lost enough that you want to do it in the way that you want to do it? in the way that only you know how to do it? Or do you have a sense where you can say, you know what, Pastor Mark, I'm going to let the Spirit put some new things in my life. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back. Because there's a little strategy that that I've been trying to birth in you that every single person can do. Could you pray for some people? Could you care for some people? And then, God willing, could you share? How many of you heard this? Prayer, care, share. You could do that. That's not rocket science. It's not beyond you. You could pray for a few people, couldn't you? You could say, God, would you open their heart? You could care for some people. It may not be the same people, but that caring and that praying may just open a door. And you don't do it for that reason, so you can just share with them. But those little simple things will open doors in people's life and God willing you may get to walk through that door to share the gospel would you please stand with me for a moment but actually there is a little something on your seat and it's this tract it's called the four points would you pick up that tract and would you just hold it in your hand just for a moment if you haven't got one Go and grab one of the stewards so that every single person in the house, could you pick up one of these? And our stewards will come round and take that with you. You see, here's a little tract that just shares the gospel. And um, do you ever remember Mission Impossible? Does anybody remember that? You know, not, the, the old version was with a tape player. You don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But the old version was, your mission, should you choose to accept it, take that second part of the verse out, of the line out. Your mission this week, and I mean this week, before next Sunday, on 9 o'clock service, you know, some of them ran outside and they were giving out these tracks at the bus stop because they didn't want to fail. But you know what? I wonder if this week, this week, you could pray And you could give somebody just this tract and say, even if you said it like this, hey, my pastor, he gave us this thing, and we're supposed to give it out this week. Can I give it to you? That's okay. Some of you will walk past a phone box and say, I'm going to leave it there. Some of you will be on a bus, and you'll say, I am so scared to give out this tract. I'm going to leave it on the seat, and the next passenger, Lord, you bless them. That's still okay. But I'm just wondering as a church whether you could say, Lord, I want to give the gospel to someone. Would you put a tract on your hand like this? Would you just hold it in your hand? If you haven't got one, make sure you get one. Just hold it in your hand. I wonder if you could say, this doesn't belong to me. This actually is not my tract now. It's actually destined for somebody this week. How many of us are here? Just under, around 700 people. There's 700 other people who need to hear just a simple message, God loves me. But I've done some things in thought, mind, and deed that actually have not only offended me, they've offended others, but they've offended God. But on the cross, Jesus paid for everything. How many of you are confident that you've got somebody in your life who would die for you? I wonder if you've got somebody who say, yeah, you know, I'm looking at Kathy right now. Please nod, Kathy. (laughs) Kathy's kind of saying, well, it depends what kind of death it is. (laughs) But I wonder if you've got somebody in your life who, who would die for you. Scarcely, the Bible says, will people die for a righteous man. But actually, Christ said, you know what? everybody else sees you as an overpriced cushion, I would die and lay my life down for you. I will pay the price for you. I will pay it so that everything you've ever thought that was wrong, everything you've ever had intentions, everything that you have ever done, every addiction, everything that you've ever taken that you shouldn't have taken, every snide lie that you've ever done, every cheating you've ever done, everything you've ever done, Even the things that aren't that bad, I pay for it. I pay for it on my cross. So, what's your answer? Yes or no? Would you let him in? Could you have an even quicker conversation with that with somebody and say, "Have you? Do you ever know what the gospel says?" it's God loves you we've all done something wrong Jesus paid for it and uh, gives you an opportunity to say yes or no you could do that in one minute so come on lay this in your hand and put your other hand over the top lay hands on that opportunity and say God would you lead me just close your eyes right now God would you lead me to share this with somebody this week. Because you may not be an evangelist, but you can share the gospel. Just simply, kindly, compassionately, personally, and God will use you. So Heavenly Father, right now, we place all these people, because it's more than a tract, it's a people, Lord. It's a person in my hands right now. And we pray in the name of Jesus, whether or not I leave it in a phone box or or leave it on a bus or whatever I do with it, if I post it through somebody's letterbox, Lord, would you use this to speak to someone this week about your expensive, extravagant love for them? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said amen. So go into all the world and preach the gospel. Kindly, maybe through handing out some food. Kindly, maybe through buying somebody some groceries. Proclaim, lay hands on people appropriately. Connected into the church. Not being a lone ranger evangelist on your big silver horse. Saving the world for yourself. No. As a part of the body of Christ, going spirit-led to people, maybe looking at mission opportunities, but then saying, "You know what? Digging in and digging out the church, we're winning when we do that.. Oh, blessing and all.